What's hope got to do with it? Hope is fundamental to human existence. It's a big statement, isn't it? But hope is so important, it's hardwired into us. And without hope, we're unable to thrive or even survive, even from a purely human perspective. I've just been reading a, a really interesting book. I'd recommend it to you. It's about it's the autobiography of the Jewish uh, psychologist Viktor Frankl. Uh, the book is called Man's Search for Meaning, and he went through this traumatic experience living in a concentration camp, and he saw the truth of of this hope being played out before him in a Nazi concentration camp. He said he saw that those who lost hope of ever getting out of that camp died. They just died. There was no physical reason particularly. There was no food issue. There's no illness. They died because of lack of hope. Whereas those that for somehow were able to keep their hope and planned even what they were going to do when they got outside, they had that kind of attitude. Those people tended to survive the concentration camp. I mean, that is phenomenal. Just think about how powerful hope is that it can have that impact on your life. And so today, as it's Easter Sunday, I want to talk about a a kind of hope that is enduring forever. The kind of hope that is represented by the cross. It transcends human trouble and time and a hope that never disappoints and never fails. And I think this is important if you consider what a powerful effect hope has on our lives. If mere human hope... the hope to get out of a concentration camp can make all the difference. How much a hope that transcends time, a a hope that even reaches into heaven. This is an important subject to talk about. So I want to give you three reasons for hope because of the cross. The empty cross, the empty grave, and the empty sky. So Lord Jesus, I just pray that as I talk about these three themes, that you would powerfully work hope in our lives. Maybe some of us have come just not feeling that hope, feeling hopeless, or there's difficult situations that we're facing in our lives. I pray that hope would be renewed today because of the cross and because of the work of Jesus Christ in that place. Thank you, Lord. Amen. So I want to look at the empty cross first, and Katie's just going to come up and read to us the first passage, which is in John chapter 19, verse 28 to 37. The death of Jesus. Later, knowing that all was now completed, and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he'd received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now it was the day of preparation, and the next day was to be a special Sabbath. Because the Jews did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath, they asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. The soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus, and then those of the other. But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they didn't break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear. 
bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. (coughs) The man who saw it has given testimony, and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth, and he testifies so that you may also believe. These things happened so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And as the other scripture says, they will look on the one they have pierced. Thank you, Katie. When I lived on the other side of Birmingham, I would regularly pass uh, an old-fashioned church on the Dudley Road that was directly opposite City Road Hospital. And uh, on the front of the building, which was directly opposite the entrance to the hospital, was a large crucifix. It was, I mean, it still is. A large crucifix. It was about 10 feet tall, and it was made out of grey stone. And Jesus is portrayed hanging on a stone cross and around his head is a ring of stone thorns and his body is scraped with deep lines carved by the mason and there he is portrayed with his arms spread-eagled, semi-naked on this cross. And often when I saw this, I've got to say it was a rather grotesque figure I've got to say that when I saw this, I'd ask myself, how, how on earth does this give us hope? And I was just thinking about all the people coming and going from that hospital. How does this figure of a, a man who is pinned to a cross give any hope? What kind of message is this to the world to be day after day greeted by this statue? I mean, perhaps you would see it differently, but I'd find myself reacting to this helpless and hopeless representation of Jesus. And I find myself almost verbally crying out, saying, but it's not true. Jesus isn't on the cross anymore. He's alive. He's not there anymore. And uh, (sighs) I don't understand why you would want such a figure on the front of a church. It is finished, he cried. He's not hanging there anymore. His work was done. He got off the cross. As Peter says, Christ suffered once for sins to bring you to God. Once Jesus was on the cross. And of course we know that the crucifix is meant to remind us of the price that Jesus paid. But I think, I think an empty cross gives us far more hope. He's not there anymore. He's not hanging there anymore. Jesus didn't stay on the cross. He was buried because Jesus was dead. Jesus was fully dead. (laughs) That's why uh, he was in a grave. You don't put dead peoples in a grave. He'd been beaten. He'd been tortured and crucified. His treatment was barbaric and cruel, but he endured it so that he could pay the full penalty for our sin because he loved us more than his own life. He gave up his spirit, he bowed his head, it says, and he died. He entered that realm absolutely. Jesus didn't fake it, he didn't go into a trance, he didn't hold his breath, he died. And the evidence for this is found in the passage that's just been read to us, which scholars say that from a medical point of view proves beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus was dead. It says this, when they came to Jesus, because you see... People on the cross would fight to live as long as possible. 
They would fight, they would curse, they would try, they would, they would, they would do whatever they could to, to maintain their lives. But Jesus willingly laid down his life. So when it came to Jesus, they found that he was already dead. They didn't have to break his legs, which was the way that they would speed up the crucifixion process because he would literally drown when his legs were broken. Instead, it says that one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. In other words, there had been a separation of the clot and the serum, which we now know is good medical evidence to say that he was dead. But you see, they didn't have that kind of medical knowledge in those days. At the time, they were just simply writing it because that's what happened. And the reason that it's so important to know that he was dead was, and, and that there was a subsequent burial, because without his death, there would be no hope for us because of Easter. So what's hope got to do with it? Oh, really? What's hope got to do with it? Firstly, Jesus' death meant that he bore the full penalty of the, sin, of the law for our sin. And if he hadn't, then our salvation today would be in doubt because the law required death. (laughs) So it's important theologically his death was imperative. So firstly, his death meant he bore the full penalty of the law for our sins. Secondly, Jesus' death and burial meant our own death and burial too. Because you see, Jesus didn't just die for, for our sin, he died with our sin. He was the scapegoat for sin, taking it away and burying it in the grave, which is the crucial part of what we are saved from. I don't know about you, but some of the stuff that I've done, I don't want anybody to know about, and I certainly don't want to look at it again. That's what Jesus does with our sin. He takes it, he's taken it on himself, and he takes it on himself and he buries it. Literally, it's buried in the grave with him. So Paul writes, he says, we are buried with him in Romans chapter 6, verse 4, which means that with him in the grave was everything from our old lives, all our sin, all the bad things that we've done, all the bad things that we will do, the regrets, the hurts, the disappointments, they're all buried with him. They're sealed forever behind that stone. Now that's good news, isn't it? It means that I can have a clean conscience, that I don't need to be condemned by the things that follow me, have followed me through my life. They're buried in, in the tomb behind that stone. This means that even if I'm condemned by men, even if I go to prison for what I've done, even if day to day I have to live with the consequences of what I've done, as many do, I've just been watching that series, Trevor McDonald's series on the mafia. I don't know if you've caught up with it. But it's so obvious that those men live with the consequences of what they've done. Even the man who's apparently become a Christian now, he says, I live day to day with the knowledge of what I've done. I'm never going to escape that because I've only got one life to live. And that's the things that I've done. But I know I'm not condemned by God anymore. The cross gives us hope and inner freedom to live without condemnation in unrestricted relationship with God. The empty cross is our first reason for hope, but it doesn't stop there because Jesus didn't stay in the grave. <laughs> the second, for reason, second reason for hope is this. 
the empty grave. So just as Jesus is no longer on the cross, he's no longer in the, in the grave because Jesus is alive. And Jesus, you'll be relieved to know, didn't come to lead us to death and the grave as the ultimate solution for sin. I mean, where would the hope be in that? If the only hope I've got of dealing with my sin is that I've got to die. (laughs) I've literally got to die. But Jesus says in John chapter 10, verse 10, I've come that you might have life and that you might have it to the full. Did you know that Jesus wanted you to live your life to the full? You know, so many people have this stuff about God. Oh, he's a spoiled sport. He spoils this. He gives us these rules, these Ten Commandments or whatever. But Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and live it to the full. I want you to enjoy being alive. Now, I don't know about you, but I can't enjoy being alive when I'm worried about my sin all the time. And this life that Jesus promised came through the resurrection. So Peter said, we have been born anew to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So Jesus died that we might have life, leaving our old lives in the grave to live again. That's what the gospel, the hope of the gospel is all about. It's a gospel that's firmly based in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now Alex is going to read our second reading to us in John chapter 20, verses 1 to 9. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Madeline came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going towards the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and he went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed, for as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Thank you. Do you know, I love the fact that the disciples who've been with Jesus for three years and seen all that they've seen still didn't understand the fact that Jesus had been raised from the dead. So if you're struggling a bit with that, you're in good company, all right? The disciples who'd been with Jesus at this point didn't understand what they were seeing. But I just want to say this. I want to say that I believe in the fact of the resurrection. I believe that the stone was supernaturally rolled away, that the grave clothes were folded by a living man and laid aside and laid aside in an empty tomb because Jesus was no longer dead but alive. 
And you know, the resurrection is crucial for all sorts of reasons, but more than anything, the resurrection proves that Jesus was who he said he was. Only God, the giver of life, could rise from the dead. Only God could have that power. The creator of the whole universe who spoke the world into being. Only God could do that. You know, no other religious leader before or since has ever dared to make such a claim or their followers support it because it's a crazy idea. Buddha is dead. Muhammad, he's dead. Guru Nanak, he's dead. Jesus Christ, alive. (laughs) The resurrection is what sets Christianity apart from every other world religion and is a phenomenal reason for hope. So what's hope got to do with it? For us, it means the hope of a new life. We live, we start again. A clean slate, a new beginning. Remember, all that we were is left in the grave. And by the power of the Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead, we too can live again and live differently. You know, when I lived the first way around, I didn't do a good job. Anybody else here ever messed up? Wouldn't you like to start again? With our sin dealt with, we are no longer separated from God, but we are united with him and at one with him. A peace with God, imagine that. What a difference that makes to our lives. It means that I can ask him when I don't know what to do. He's my helper. God is my helper. God is my leader, my encourager. He's my friend. Is God your friend? He's my friend, and I've got a father in heaven. And I can turn to him whenever I'm in trouble. Ever been in trouble? Yeah. He comforts me. He provides for me. See, the resurrection is not just about a new life, but a life that's lived very differently. Secondly, it is also the hope of our own resurrection. So I don't know if you're aware of this. I mean, I'm very young and good-looking and fit and all the rest, as you know. But for some people, they get older. But we get sick, and ultimately everybody dies. But the resurrection gives us a certainty of life after death. Ever wondered about that? Jesus returned from the grave to show us what will follow our own death. There is hope beyond the grave, so we can have hope through sickness. We can have hope through trials, persecution, suffering, because death is not the end. Just think, if there is no fear of death, because death is not the end, what difference would that make to our lives? It's well documented that after the Civil War in America, many of the African-American slaves put their hope in the end of suffering that heaven would give them. You know, so many of their songs, which they would sing together in those amazing harmonies as they worked together in the fields, were about heaven. 
and about a hope of relief from the labors that this would bring. There's a phenomenal hope in knowing what comes afterwards. But outside of this, the resurrection gives us the hope of supernatural intervention. I mean, there is nothing more crazily supernatural than a man raising from the dead. Do I hear you? I mean, isn't that a crazy thought? A man rising from the dead. Not as a zombie, but as a living, breathing man. He ate and he drank and he spoke. He spent time with them. So we have a hope in a supernatural intervention. You know, God still heals people. At least three people were healed in our meeting last Sunday. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. At least three. Death sentences can be cancelled through the power of the Holy Spirit. When we pray for the sick, their lives can be turned around. Hopeless situations can be resurrected literally through the power of God. Because of the resurrection, you see, we can pray to a God who has power over life and death. Now, there isn't much outside of that, is there? If you've got power over life and death, you've got a lot of power. The resurrection is about ultimate justice. You see, Jesus never deserved to die. So God raised him from the dead. (laughs) Do you get that? Jesus didn't deserve to die, so God raised him from the dead. That's ultimate justice. The injustice of Jesus' death is reversed by God himself. Think about the injustice in the world today. Child abuse, people trafficking, modern-day slavery. The resurrection is our authority for bringing justice into our world. It's our ultimate inspiration for justice. It's what caused people like William Wilberforce to stand out against all of his peers and said, this is wrong, it's unjust. And the power of God, by the power of God, he was a man of God, the whole thing turned around. And I've only just started to list some of the ways in which the resurrection gives us hope. So what needs resurrecting in your life at the moment? What needs turning around in your family life, in the world today, things that God has just been moving you for? Can you pray with hope, with faith, because we have a resurrection God? Jesus offers us resurrection power. So two reasons for enduring an eternal hope, the empty cross, the empty tomb, and the third one is the empty sky. The empty sky. The fact that not only has Jesus risen, he's also ascended and glorified by the power of God. So Hannah's going to come and read Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. 
Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John, the bapt- for John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. (laughs) Thanks, Hannah. Do you know, whenever I read this passage, I can't help but wonder what they were staring at. You know, just get this image of these poor disciples just walking with Jesus and suddenly he, he's translated and they've just stood transfixed, mouths open, rooted to the spot. And I get the feeling that if the angels hadn't appeared beside them, they would have just stayed there forever, just looking up. I just wonder, what, what was it they were looking for? What were they waiting for? Were they waiting for Jesus just to peep round the cloud and say, bye? You know, like when you say goodbye to your mum and dad, it's always kind of, you have to keep, you know, going out, you go down the drive, go down the road a bit and you wave to them. Maybe that's what they were expecting. Or were they expecting Jesus to return again, just like he had immediately? Such as with the immediacy of the kingdom of God, such was the nearness, the realness of it, they expected him to come back again. We know from reading on in the book of Acts that some people actually did think Jesus was going to come back just about now. <laughs> Any minute now, they live like that. Or was it just shock? I mean, it would have been pretty awesome to watch. Supposing I just suddenly appear, just suddenly start to ascend up into heaven right now. You'd all be a bit shocked, wouldn't you? Well, probably not. I don't know. But whatever it was, all they could see was an empty sky. Jesus was taken from them. There was no more to see. And Jesus didn't just pass into the clouds, he actually passed into another realm. He passed straight into heaven, into the presence of his Father. So what's hope got to do with it? It's got to do with it. How does the empty sky give us hope? Firstly, and most importantly, Jesus reigns in heaven right now. Jesus is reigning. I don't think the disciples got this at the time, but the empty sky meant that Jesus' victory was complete. You know, even now, he is seated on the throne at the right hand of God, far above all rule, authority, and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. That's Ephesians chapter 1. His authority and power is now without equal. Jesus said to his disciples, all authority has been given to me. It's his. 
And it says that he is crowned with glory and honor and that God has put everything under his feet. Although, as the writer to the Hebrews points out, at this time, we do not see all that is under his feet because there's so much more to see of what God is doing. But the eventual outcome is assured and indisputable that Jesus rules and reigns forever. So this means that when we pray, when we see what's going on in the world, when we face troubles and difficulties, we can do so against this backdrop, Jesus is in charge. He is over everything. I can trust him. I like what Terry Virgo wrote on his blog this week. He wrote this. He says, if God is in charge, let's trust him and enjoy the journey. You know, sometimes we fret so much and we waste so much time worrying. If Jesus is in charge, let's just relax and enjoy the journey. Trust him, sorry. (laughs) That's much more spiritual. Uh, Let's trust him and enjoy the journey. Can you do that? Can you do that? Can you get that perspective on your life? Jesus is in charge. What are you worried about right now? What's troubling you? What's going over and over and over? Jesus is in charge. In your family, in your health, in your work, Jesus is in charge. He's over it. He's got it in hand. Just relax and enjoy the journey. I can't help it. I have to say that. Secondly, we see that because of Jesus' ascension to heaven, that he has been able to send us the Holy Spirit. That's what the first part of this chapter is about. Jesus says, go and wait for the promise that is coming to you. But he's now come, you see, because Jesus has ascended and the Holy Spirit has been sent. It's been poured out of heaven and is available to everyone who asks. And the Holy Spirit is kind of liquid God. It's his power. It's his power living in our lives. Jesus has returned to heaven. He reigns from there, but he's not left us alone. He sent us the Holy Spirit to live in us and amongst us. It's the power of God to perform miracles and to advance his kingdom until his return. Do you realize what a wonderful thing the coming of the Holy Spirit is? Jesus said to his disciples, because I go to the Father, I can send the Spirit to you, and that's better for you. It's better for you to have the Holy Spirit than to have me. He's another one just like me, but it's better for you. I love the song that we sing. It comes from Ephesians chapter 1. It says, the same power that conquered the grave lives in me. The same power, the resurrection power, lives in me. It means that we get to do the works that Jesus did, but also greater works, Jesus said. You get to do greater works, and it's multiplied out. I don't know how many Christians there are in the world, but if we all knew how much power we had, greater works because of Jesus' victory on the cross and through his death and resurrection. But also Paul says that God put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. So the presence of the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of what we hope for that's to come. The very fact that he's here right now, the very fact that we can experience him, that he's tangible, that he is in my life, is a guarantee of what's to come. That's what gives me hope. I know the presence of the Holy Spirit. Which leads us to our next point. 
his Jesus' ascension to heaven means that he's coming back. Jesus is coming back again. In the same way that he was taken from you, it says in the passage, he will return. This same Jesus. One day Jesus is coming back and it will be literal and real. It's not just a spiritual kind of idea, an ideology. It's an actual return, a bodily return of Jesus Christ. The same way that you saw him taken from you. He'd just been talking with them. He'd just spent 40 days with them. He'd been eating with them, drinking with them, spending time with them, teaching them about the kingdom of God. The same way, the tangible Jesus that you've known, he's going to return in the same way. And it says that when he comes, it will be with power and great glory. He's not coming back this time as a helpless baby. He will appear suddenly, it says, streaking across the sky like lightning. And every eye will see him, and every ear will hear him. Even the dead will rise to greet him. Can you imagine that? And it says that every knee will bow before him, and every tongue confess that he is Lord. Now, we don't know the hour or the day of his coming, but it will definitely happen. And when it does, all sickness will be banished. All famine in the world today will be eradicated. All injustice will be righted and there will be no more death. There will be no more suffering and no more decay. The Bible tells us the earth will get a complete restoration, a makeover, an extreme makeover. The earth will be restored to its former glory and so will the heavens. And guess what? We get new bodies too. Perfect bodies. If you want a body like mine, Jesus says, you wait for me to come back again. Perfect renewed bodies. Wouldn't that be wonderful? This is our ultimate ultimate hope that has been won for us by Jesus in his victory on the cross. Three reasons for hope. The empty cross, the empty grave, the empty sky. And you know, hope by its very nature is outside of us. It's beyond us, but it motivates us forward and puts the troubles of life and suffering into a greater perspective. I was going through a really hard time a few years ago and I just, you know, your emotions get overwhelmed and all the rest. And I just went outside and I looked up at the sky and I saw the stars. I thought, nothing's changed. The universe is still there. How much more the cross of Jesus Christ, the immovable, eternal work of the cross Viktor Frankl, who I mentioned right at the beginning, he kept himself alive in the concentration camp and kept hope alive with thoughts of his wife and the prospect of seeing her again after the war. I even got to dreaming at one point about, what am I going to teach people when I get out of here? What have I learned from my Auschwitz experience? That's an incredible illustration, a powerful illustration. I I really would recommend that you YouTube this guy and watch some of his lectures. I've been watching a few of them. 
or bits of them, I should say, because they're quite long. He's such an inspiring guy. He has a faith in God. But mostly he's talking about mere human hope. How much more to hope in the cross of Jesus Christ? I think the cross offers us greater hope and even ultimate hope that nothing else compares with. So Easter, what's hope got to do with it? Sins forgiven, new life begun, lived by the power of the Holy Spirit, eternal security, the return of Jesus coming again soon. The cross gives us hope that transcends human trouble and time, a hope that never disappoints and never fails. There's just a wonderful hymn called Rock of Ages, Clef for Me. And the third verse starts like this, simply to the cross I cling. Nothing in my hand I bring. Are you clinging to the cross? Because in the cross is hope that never disappoints.